You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's Talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. Wow, full house. <laughs> Amazing. All right. This week, as Lydia Yankovskaya prepares to step down as music director of Chicago Opera Theater, we take a look at some of the swings and misses of her tenure, including being a three-time Inside the Huddle guest on the OBS. Is that a swing or a miss? (laughs) (laughs) And then PJ files a report on the life and times of Malcolm X from the Met, and Lisa Davidson... Wait, what? Lisa Davidson joins us for a free throw... On Janacek's Yenifa, plus in the two-minute drill, France is the big winner in the World Cup of Opera, and an opera company in Dallas attempts to show the relationship between opera and sports. Original idea. (laughs) Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. You're going to click follow. Apple Podcasts, hit that plus sign. Send us a voice memo. You can even email us your hot takes, mailbag at operaboxcore.com. Even just record your thoughts using the You Got Something to Say page on our website, operaboxscore.com. However you contribute, you're going to get the OBS merch, beer coaster, lapel pin, and the all-new number one OBS fan foam finger just for sharing your hot take. Wow, full house tonight, kicking it off with Oliver Camacho. Quick little sports bit from me. Um, it's almost the end of the season for uh, tennis. I know the season is like interminable, and uh, I don't know when they actually take a break, but uh, the year-end finals uh, in Turin are coming up next weekend, and I'll be very excited. Carlos Alcaraz did not do well in Paris. He was eliminated in the second round, and uh, yeah, it sounds like he just does not have his mental game together after the Grand Slams. And there's some scandal brewing about how the WTA organized the uh, similar event for the women in Cancun. There are many complaints about how poor the venue was and the organization of the tournament and not giving players enough, um, you know, recovery time between matches and whatnot. And their semifinal uh, got rained out. So they actually had to move their final to uh, today as we're talking actually right now. Sounds like a total mess. Matt Cummings back after a pause. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as big of a mess as uh, the Tyson Foods Dino Nuggets recall. So if you're actually trying to hit your protein macros, you can't use that as a source anymore. (laughs) Weston Williams. God, I wish I'd paid attention to the news for a reference like that. This is why we need Matt on the show more often, because otherwise I just kind of sit here and uh, avoid talking about sports that I know nothing about. Roll Tide. (laughs) Ashley Hardgrave. <laughs> um, hi, gentlemen. I've missed you. It's it's nice to see all my all my guys in one place. Um, I had the very interesting privilege of for my job being in Salt Lake City, Utah, this past week, uh, and I took it upon myself. Besides doing religious cult tourism, which we can talk about, DM me, I'll tell you all about it. Um, I also took the liberty of going to see a Utah Jazz basketball game. Nice. To go to see one of the like smaller city NBA teams. First of all, the Delta Center, they've done a lot of renovation. It's beautiful. 
beautiful. And I'm telling you, whoever is like directing their fan base and their fan initiatives, we need to hire them for the opera industry. I have not seen that many like excited white sports fans all together in one spot. <laughs> not that we want to cultivate more of a white audience. It's just that I was in Utah and there's a lot of white people. But anyway, um, they were just so into it. By, you know, by the end of the game, I was like, heck yeah, go jazz. I was like into it. Also for Oliver, really I'm, I am going to, haha, I'm going to need you. You're going to be a fan in the NBA after I tell you about this. I need you to Google Omer Yurtsevin. He is an Uzbeki born to Turkish parents basketball player. He played for NC State in Georgetown and now he plays for the Utah Jazz. And my goodness, my goodness. In fact, I'm just going to, I'm going to drop this name in the chat. You're going to Google him and then we're going to hear <laughs> back from you later me, sure. in the episode. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just, I, I just want your take on, on this man. The Cedar Chris family also went to a sporting event. My, Daughter plays elementary school volleyball, and so her team went to see a Northwestern women's volleyball game this weekend, and my son and I went. It was a total blast. Just so much fun. They treated us so well. I will say I spent $40 on food concessions, which felt high, but- A a single hamburger. (laughs) Fun for all the family. Let's talk some opera. Tops and bottoms, cheers and booze. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It's time for swings and misses. Swings and misses was a new segment on the OBS we introduced a few weeks ago when Anthony Freud announced his departure from Lyric Opera of Chicago. And yeah, I didn't think we were going to need to bring it back quite so soon. <laughs> but <laughs> turns out that Chicago Opera Theater's music director appointed in June of 2017 and who took over in the 1819 season, Lydia Yankovskaya, is also moving on from COT, leaving a short trail of breadcrumbs. There's a bit of overlap in her departure and what's coming up next. But this is our chance to look at some swings, some victories, some home runs, and some misses from her tenure as COT's first female music director. I think we can first start by saying, you know, a a great swing, you know, was her appointment as the first female music director. We don't want to just say she was the first woman music director for COT. She was the first woman in the country uh, in that position um, uh, in an opera house of any size. Uh, It truly was a, 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 a big deal especially back when they had um, Ashley Magnus on board they had the both the artistic and mm-hmm. general director side both helmed by women which is kind which is genuinely huge you know even before yeah. we say anything about the music or the productions uh, I I think that that was truly you know fascinating but I think the first miss I want to talk about was that she was uh, on our show multiple times which could have only brought down her profile um, <laughs> but you know it was a hit for us so, you know, what can you say? Uh, she regrets it, probably. That's right. It was the 2020 <laughs> Mother's Day Spectacular, Ashley. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. I, I was uh, fortunate to get in to get to sit in on her second uh, interview with us here at OBS with, with Oliver and me. And we got to talking on the break about raising kids and how challenging that can be for someone in her position. And it just got my wheels turning. And I decided to put together the mothers in opera episode and i'm it's still to this day it's one of the things i'm most proud of in terms of building stuff on this show besides hanging with you guys 
Again, Aww. she's appointed in June of 2017, takes over in the 1819 season, so she'll be concluding six seasons with the company. Matt Cummings, h- how do we start to kind of look at the big picture here and then drill down into the Yankovskaya years at COT? I mean, I would say that it was a changing of the guard that was very much heralded at the time with the outgoing of the former... Um, leadership in the Andreas Medesek era. It was, Lydia was like brought out to the audiences to really entice them to stay. Yeah. To come back. As a big, yeah, to come back. (laughs) That it was a big, it it was a big get to really turn the company around and improve its reputation. And there are, there are absolutely some metrics that we can look at that reinforce that beyond just, I would what I would call the general improvement in the production quality and uh, more thought through concepts. Even yes. if that meant that the uh, the many of the productions were relocated from the very very large Harris Theater for Music and Dance into the into the small more intimate Studebaker Theater that's in the Fine Arts Building down in downtown Chicago. But that didn't mean that they didn't do large productions either. Like Moby Dick was huge. Alan Turing yeah. was a really large project. When they needed those, you know, forces of thousands, they were there, but not everything was in a space that felt a couple sizes too large for the company as it was. Yeah, exactly. This this is a really kind of a what you see. I mean, obviously, COT has always been about doing the their whole brand has been doing the stuff that lyric won't do right. Newer works yeah. in general. Um, but uh, the pattern that emerged with Lydia, I think was you would have, uh, I think before you're talking, I'm stealing this from Matt um, before the show, we were talking about it and the, the, the general formula obviously with exceptions is uh new opera, Slavic opera and wild card opera, <laughs> whatever that may be. Um, she's obviously, a good assessment. She is obviously like, you know, she's a, a Russian-born composer. She's born in St. Petersburg, uh, but, you know, uh, has been in America for a very long time. And it's very it was very important for her to have that uh, the, the Russian operas, you know, brought over to the U.S. And I think every Slavic opera that we did, I'm not saying Slavic in terms of Russian and the one Polish opera, um uh, uh uh king roger uh they 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 were all chicago premieres like they had not been done uh, otherwise and they were done to fairly high quality the the general formula for those was that she would get like mostly local singers to do most of the parts and then they would fly in one uh, one mm-hmm. you know specialist from from russia to like really kind of take one of the lead roles uh, and that was always very exciting for me because you know it's it's kind of a, a rare, a, a rare sight for a, for a uh, for a company the size and resources of Chicago Opera Theater to do that, and I was always very excited for those in particular. Um, obviously, we can talk about her Vanguard Initiative as being one of probably the yeah. most important legacies. Can she you has. explain what that is before? You- yes. So the Vanguard Initiative uh, was put together by uh, with Lydia. Uh, Yankovskaya, and it's basically giving especially Chicago composers an outlet and the ability to um, to uh, create new works. Sean Opebolo is a, is a is a major one. Um, Matthew Resio, yeah, Matthew Resio. Up is another, yeah, local composer. which is fantastic because again, you know. Uh, the, Difficult, you know, to be able to give young composers, uh, composers of color, uh, women that kind of uh, women composers that kind of platform 
uh, on a fairly major level and not just like have it be like kind of a side project, but because a lot, especially when Lydia was first hired, she, like you said, she was very much like a very much advertised to the audience as like, this is a big deal. This, and this was, this was her, her baby as it were. Like, this is not just a side thing we're doing. Like, you know, I, I often feel like the Lyric Op of Chicago, whenever they do, new works it sometimes feels kind of secondary like they're like it's not on the main stage it's kind of to the side the creative you know team feels different even if it's not but uh it, it really the vanguard initiative i think is really cool because it feels much more central to what cot wants to be about and to uh, be clear i'm not sure if it was explicit as the vanguard project but these are composers who had not written opera yeah, and exactly. The, the right. fellowship is a couple of years and the first right. year is just like learning the craft and like understanding what it would take to write an opera and then getting a chance to workshop something and produce yeah. a small scale show. And uh, yeah, that that is, uh, you know, putting more composers in the opera composing pipeline the way I think Opera Philadelphia also was trying to do. Exactly. And this, she's, this... And she's like extremely hands on as a part yes. of both Vanguard and the main stage productions as well. Like the, as a part of the rehearsals for Turing, that that was an opera that had been workshopped for over 10 years, but they were still making changes while we were rehearsing so that it read better from the stage because mm -hmm. the, the instincts are great and the understand like her understanding of what will work from a stage are, are really impeccable. Yeah, I, I really do want to point out the the quality of her conducting, even on like a, just a very basic level, is really impressive. I feel like, you know, I, I came to Chicago not too much before she was hired on, so I didn't get that much of a before and after it was a great contrast. Time for Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> that I came and ruined everything. Uh, the, uh, but like I saw a couple productions of COT and the the orchestral uh, the way she handled the orchestra, it was it was almost night and day compared to the productions that I saw prior. Not to overly disparage anyone in particular, but I I do think that she she really has something, and I think that that, that ties into like the one sort of big miss, quote unquote, at least for me, is that I think she became too big too quickly for Cot to hang on to her. You know, I think that. Uh, you know, just to sort of circle back to this for a moment, it's, you know, we always we we love a lady on the podium, there should be more and she is an excellent advocate for that. But what I think is more important is that she's just good. It's not about yeah. she's good for a girl, quote unquote, it's that yeah. she is one yeah. of the leading conductors today. The fact that she just happens to be a woman is like a nice to have. It just so 100%. happens that she's got this gender, which, you know, brings with it a different, you know, a different experience, different type of storytelling. But even if this were the exact same musicianship and vision and ability to create in somebody who was a different gender, I think we would still respect this person just as much. Oh, without question. Yeah, 100%. She she was she's a fantastic fantastic artist and it it's hard to again, you know, relatively recent transplant to Chicago in the grand scheme of things. But the amount of enthusiasm I have when people are talking with me about Lydia Yankovskaya, uh, you know, just in passing is always like it's it, it, they, they get excited about her, you know, for a reason, yeah. you know, it, it is it is not just incidental, you know. And I think that with with COT, especially given the the past couple of years after after the pandemic has been kind of rough for them, financially speaking, 
uh, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if she was starting to feel a little constrained by the ability of COT to um, uh, to retain someone of that reputation, you know, and certainly she, she's been popping up all over the place. She's getting appointments everywhere, left and right. Uh, she's going to be staying on, I will say, uh, with the Vanguard program, which is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but like she is in demand in a way that she was perhaps not not as much when she was first appointed. Um, and it, it makes me a little bit sad that she can't, you know, stay with COT a little bit longer. It um, makes the appointment of Larry Edelson make a little more sense. I feel like maybe yeah. they were holding back yeah. some of this information and bringing in somebody with the same ties to uh, contemporary American opera mm-hmm. as him. Uh, and, you know, keeping a major name in the, uh, you know, the, the constellation of opera makers uh, in the U.S. She's definitely one of them. And Larry Edelson is definitely one of them. And we're seeing the work from Beth Morrison Project, for example, make its yeah. way to Chicago, which I don't think was happening in the previous regime. Um, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about um, shows that we thought might be, well, we're like we're just pure successes and stuff that might have a question mark next to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really loved Aleko and Everest. I had never Me heard too. either of those operas. And I was really that thrilling was, uh, to hear. That was in the season just before the pandemic or the, the fall of 19. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Um, I was excited that we had a chance to experience Moby Dick. Um, yeah. I'm not <laughs> he sure. He says I, with I, a I question mark at the end. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, like, it's important to, to hear that opera. Um, I, I think with that amount of dudes on the stage, I'd rather have Billy Budd in the end. But you know, yeah. it's good that <laughs> I I got to. Hear He's what very we did. particular about yeah. his male male sailor operas. You know, <laughs> based on Herman Melville yeah. novels. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> right. true. Wow, so many and connections. Sliver of the Venn diagram. I, there. I loved, 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 loved the workshop of the Alan Turing opera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that the um, gender bender Carmen Car was, a, was a great <laughs> was a great idea, and it was cool to hear Stephanie Blythe sing Don Jose, and it was great to give Jamie Barton her first opportunity to sing and a role sang that the she should be singing. Not out yeah. of Carmen, my goodness. I, I will also say with Carmen, what a coup in terms of social media. I mean, I know you know uh, uh, Oliver's grandpa over here, but for us hip youths on TikTok and whatnot. <laughs> Like that, that was, that was all over my, my feed and it even showed up on my wife's feed and she's not even on like, you know, classical TikTok at all. Like it's, it's genuine. It was genuinely like a huge, like everyone was talking about it, you know, genuinely like organically viral moment, which does not happen often with productions. uh, Well, I don't think uh, it happened often, you know, at COT while Lydia was there. I think that was the exception to the rule. In general, it felt like some operas were not big events and they needed to be. God knows, I know virtually nothing about marketing or social media, but at the end of the day, it's like, how are you going to make, how are you going to get people there to see it? Moving to the Studebaker to a smaller venue is a great way to do it. But was there like another really big event in the way that Carmen was. Yeah, not yet. Uh, I think it's that a good was the big But also it was it wasn't staged, you know. Uh, no. it was just a concert version. Um I was just going to keep going and say that um as far as world premieres go, I did like Freedom Ride and I did like Quamino's Map. 
Uh, Freedom Ride got more favorable reviews. Uh, that's a work by Dan Shore. Comino's Map by Al- Erlen Wallen uh, was not categorically liked uh, by audiences and critics, but I didn't. I didn't mind it, and I like the biggest Wallen. tragedy of that season. That was the, we're talking about the 1920 season was the loss of uh, the Legend of the Invisible City of Kitej, mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was going to be the 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 Russian opera that year. I was excited about that one, um, but uh, I feel like that one was always going to be an expensive one to do. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there was really no chance when the, once the pandemic hit to, to bring it back, right. sadly. And I'll say that casting Miles McKinnon, or Miles McKinnon, I think is how you say his name, uh, as Albert Herring was a coup. And I think we're going to see so much more of Miles McKinnon in his career. And uh, it's good to hear him. Well, we can still afford <laughs> to, to have him on the stage. Um, as far as shows that didn't necessarily work for me, um, in the end, the the oh god, I'm I'm, I'm low to say, but like the final product of Alan Turing, mm-hmm. I, I liked the workshop better than I liked the the finished show. I felt like it got a little bit um, the the core of it, which was so sweet and so emotional. Uh, it got diffused uh, in the expansion of the workshop. Matt, were you in both or just the final product? I was uh, only in the in the Weston, stage version. Right? I saw. I I preferred the staged version, um, yeah. but I do think there was something special. I will say, I, I do think there was a little bit of like you know, there there was something special about those workshops, and I think part of that is like was like the insight into how Lydia was thinking about new opera specifically. This is not part of the Vanguard program because it had been worked on prior to that, but it it felt like it. Yeah. It felt like, and, and seeing that process really felt very special. I think that's something that a lot of people uh, who went to that those initial workshops talk about still. Um, that being said, I do think the final product was was superior, but there was, you know, you know, I mean, also, you know, we're talking about Oliver's taste versus my taste here. Right. So, so <laughs> your your mileage may vary, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I'll also say that uh, the seasons got complicated. I know that COVID had a lot to do with it. Yeah. But um, with all the extra workshops and Vanguard projects and then... And special one-off exactly, events. Exactly, yeah. like uh, the Jake Heggie um, uh, Songs of Remembrance event. And, yeah, uh, I, I think those also got hard to market too, which is right. kind of uh, kind of became yeah. a problem. I think in towards the later end of her run. Yeah, the focus got diffused, and then we had the soldier songs cancellation mm-hmm. in the twenty in the twenty twenty season because of COVID, and then it came back, and then Nathan Gunn got had a family emergency. It's not his fault. It's not COT's fault, but you know. This they is put in a the lot. same season that Plate is canceled yep. as well. Exactly. So yeah. Oliver yeah. was crying, you know. That's that's a real disappointment. <laughs> we get friend of the show, Gary Wado, was supposed to conduct Plate. Mm-hmm. And you all know I'm a big French Baroque nerd, and we have not had a Baroque opera from it, yeah, it was I was excited for them to like expand yeah, into me that too. territory, which they hadn't really yeah. tackled. But we'll have to wait, I guess, yeah. or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say one highlight for me was uh, becoming Santa Claus, not so much because of the opera itself, but because two very auspicious things happened. One, I made my operatic debut, 
uh, <laughs> pretending to be a child with. Uh, so so here's what happened. There was uh, this was uh, the 2021. One. This is late 2021. 2021. Yeah. Uh, so at the very end of the opera, there are some some chimes that are that were are meant to be played by children. You know, uh, on stage or you know in the in the balcony, um, and this was not long after I believe it was Chicago made it uh, mandatory for kids to be vaccinated to yep. perform in any groups like this, and there was an issue where some parents did not provide those forms, uh, and so literally they they call <laughs> the COT folks called everyone who had ever been even slightly involved with Chicago Opera Theater, which included me, and said, "Would you like to be a child playing a bell for us?" And I was like, "Absolutely." Would I, Buddy the Elf over yeah, here? Yeah, li- literally, and also make sure the kids, you know, were you know staying in a line and you know learning their parts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the more auspicious thing that happened with Lydia specifically, and this is one of the wildest things I have ever seen in my life. So. I believe there, as I recall, there were three performances. There was uh, one performance like on Friday and then a full week and like a Friday and Saturday performance. Um, So the first opening night, Friday, uh, Lydia went on extremely pregnant. She performed the entire thing while pregnant, already an incredible feat in and of itself. The... And then the next week she had given birth, and I think it was the like the day before. It was like that Thursday. Amazing. Uh, and so she took the, she took that Friday off, and we assumed she wasn't coming back. And then on Saturday I come in, and and someone comes up to me and is like, "Lydia's in the pit," and I was like, well, "She's what? <laughs> she gave birth." 48 hours ago, you know, and she did. She did the entire opera straight through days after giving birth. And it might be the most impressive thing I've ever seen. Very Lydia moment. <laughs> I love wrapping up this segment with that uh, story. You know, I, I think ultimately we've got more swings and connects with her than we do swings and misses. I think Chicago is going to be grateful for its time with Lydia. I think COT is going to be very grateful. This is not the end. There's going to be some overlap, of course, with her and the, the Vanguard. And, mo- and the nose. And most importantly, we're going to be super excited to see uh, where Lydia Yankovskaya goes next. Yeah, you got something to say? Then yeah, all right, you can say something. This is listener mailbag. PJ checks in from... The Metropolitan Opera, The Life and Times of Malcolm X, from an early performance. Hello, Opera Box Score. This is PJ. I am on the terrace at the Met. We've just finished the first act of X, The Life and Times of Malcolm X. This is an an opera in three acts. It's by Anthony Davis. It's a family affair. Tuliana Davis and Christopher Davis were all involved in the libretto and the story. It's a Friday night in New York. It's a full house. It was a tough scene to get my hands on for tonight and I'm just glad to see that it's a very different crowd appreciating this story. They are vignettes of Malcolm X's life, 12 of them. So it's not going to make really much of a commentary, it seems, on what's happening, but just tell the story and let us make our own interpretations of what we think and how this person evolved from East Lansing, Michigan, all the way out to uh, his death in New York uptown, not that far from where I am right now. 
So it's a fascinating portrayal. This did make its debut many, many years ago, 30 plus years ago at City Opera. This is the Metropolitan Opera premiere of this opera. It's got all the studs and stars and glitter, really big ball gowns. It's, it's a night at the opera for real here in New York on a Friday night. Thanks for listening. Listener mailbag, and I'll report back soon. All right, Oliver, you've had enough time to go hunting uh, yeah, for Google I'll images. Omer uh, Yurtseven. Your, how do you say his name? Yurtseven? Yurtseven. So is this a, what's it called? A thirst? A thirst something? A thirst It would post? be a, a thirst uh, trap, yes. A thirst no. trap. Did I, did I say that correctly? Trapola. He's a beautiful man, and he looks, uh, his eyes are stunningly beautiful. Uh, and I'm into like the olive colored skin and, uh, yeah, lots of, lots of good features. I'm nervous though, that like I would go, I would meet him in person and hit on him. And, you know, Turkey is not necessarily known for their, uh, embrace fair point. of the LGBTQ yeah, community. Yeah. So okay. but he's in Utah. Oh, well, Careful. um, Oh no. Okay. <laughs> so maybe not a great match for Oliver's yeah. boyfriend, Ashley. How about your boyfriend? Uh, you mean my boyfriend, who is the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals? I Joe did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the words of a 1950s song, my boyfriend's back. Uh, he's back from injury. <laughs> the Bengals have won the last four games. They're finally back in playoff contention. However, there are some football boys that are losing their tempers. There's two stories about some outbursts this week. One from the Raiders' Max Crosby going after a backup quarterback. Uh, and then the Texas A&M uh, lineman Shamar Turner. Oh, that was bogus, that guy. That was bogus. All you have to do <laughs> is look up Shamar Turner. We don't even have to tell you what happened. You'll you'll find it. I, You know, this just proves my point that men are just too emotional for sports. Um, <laughs> hey, just, la, hey, know, la, indeed. I, I think if they just smiled more, I think things would go a little better for them. Oh, gosh. The Bengals win the last four games. Well, you know who's lost its last two games is the OBS fantasy football team. I blame oh, you, God. Tobias Wright. We're probably going to we lose all. this week as well. That's going to be three losses in a row. But there's quite a bit of parity in our division, the Grand Opera division. Three what, like more- Gilbert and Sullivan? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. There's there's quite a few games uh, left to play. They're going to be must win. We don't control our own destiny. Only the top six of 12 teams make it into the playoffs. I'm just hoping that Tobias can turn this thing around. Uh, free throw. Last Saturday, I had a chance to interview Lisa Davidson for my other job. And Jealous. I, I encourage you all to... Figure out what that is. There's actually a, a, a carousel ad on our website, so you can find that out really easily. And listen to our conversation. Uh, she was in the mid- literally in the middle of a rehearsal day, and she had 30 minutes to spare. So I got all of my uh, other job questions uh, answered within the first 20 minutes, and I had nice. uh, 10 minutes to spare. And I asked her, hey, would you mind uh, you know saying a couple <laughs> extra things for this podcast? That she was like, sure. And so... Um, she is making her debut at Lyric Opera Chicago in the role of Yenufa. And that opens, uh, as of this listing, it opens on Sunday. And so I asked her because Yenufa is such a difficult opera. I mean, I know people who, who like it really, really like it, but people who've never heard of it have never heard of it. And they think it's know. called Jennifer. Yeah. And they don't know <laughs> what to expect. And they don't, they don't realize how upsetting, how 
horrifying and yeah, dark this opera is. Especially like, this production, which is directed by Klaus Gut, which is really dark. And I was like, I asked her, like, why would you want to make your debut in Chicago with this really depressing show? <laughs> and here's what she had to say. But first, we'll, uh, we'll hear a little bit of uh, Yennefa's prayer uh, from a performance in 2021 with the um, Amsterdam Radio Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Patrick Langa. Not believe that I have just a few minutes with Lisa Davidson. Uh, Lisa, welcome to Opera Box Score. Um, I'm just insane right now. I'm like sweating because I'm so excited to meet you. <laughs> and I'm very much looking forward to Yennefa in uh, a couple of weeks. And uh, I think everybody wants to know, like, why, why this opera? It's so difficult. The story is so horrible. And, you know, so many people want to hear you sing. And they're going to go to this opera and get so depressed. <laughs> yeah, that is true, isn't it? It is quite a depressing story to get into. On the other hand, maybe we need that now. Maybe we need we don't really need a reminder of, of, of bad things. But on the other hand, it is very, very well written, I must mm -hmm. say. Yes, it is depressive. Yes, it is hard. It's hard to take in. It's hard to take in these people living under these hard hard circumstance they are not they haven't chosen their life i mean it's two stepbrothers a stepmom a grandmother and yenufa and they're all they're all connected to each other on the other hand they don't have many other people some most most of their relatives are dead and, and what's left it's what's there and they're all desperately holding on to what what they have such as yenufa who's i mean early on pregnant um with the with Steva's child and Steva isn't really keen, and I think already in the beginning this sort of this desperation, please, please change your mind, please choose me, please be with me. I think that is so it's so recognizable, and especially when life gets tricky and life gets hard, then we sort of cling even harder to those to those emotions, and then and in a way it just get, gets down from there. <laughs> but but that said, the production is really really beautiful. It's um. And I think that we talked about it yesterday because we were rehearsing um, third act and there's this beautiful dance and it's a it's a lot of flowers. And in a way, it gives you this time to breathe in, in all this sadness and especially second act where, yeah, spoiler alert. I mean, the, the stepmother kills uh, Yenufa's child and in, in a way she thinks she'll save her from misery, of course, it doesn't work like that. She just makes her even more miserable and sad and everything. Um, but then there's this wedding in third act and it's so it's so refreshing because you can breathe again. You can say, Whew, there's a couple of minutes now with with joy or at least 
we want to we want to have fun and then it, yeah. it just breaks into this the fact that someone found the the baby so then yeah. it's then it's over again but as you say it is really really hard it's really really heavy but it's um it's 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 also a beautiful music and it's a wonderful cast i must say i i i look so much forward to it and i'm really proud to be to be here and to be here with these people it feels like these characters they have no choice and you know Every everything that they do is like, well, you know, there's only one man left, so now I'll marry marry him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like, okay, and if I can't have that one, well, then I have his stepbrother. Yeah. So it's 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 a very, it's it's it sounds so simple, but yeah. but it's true for them. It is what it is, and it's they are all in in the end. Um, she ends up with with the right man. He's mm. been in love with her from the beginning, and she should have chosen him from the beginning. But of course, in that time, you could not have a baby. Mm. That that would bring disgrace upon everyone. So this sort of pretending that she's gone away and pretend that she never, no one knew she had a baby until they realized that it was actually hers. Mm. Um, I think that is unfortunately it happens more than we we want to acknowledge today. But um, but how they how they deal with it is, of course, the the really, really sad part in this opera. It's hard to tell if the opera is modern or actually very old-fashioned in that Yennefer forgives. And the forgiveness is so enlightened. It's so, um, you know, harkens back to the enlightenment, you know, to like Mozart, you know. And there's something really wonderful and incredibly emotionally mature for her to be able to forgive. But is that also because she feels so oppressed that she doesn't doesn't have anger, that she doesn't know how to escape, you know? Yeah, I I, I have also sort of circled around that, uh, and I, I think I still do, because it is uh, it's very generous of her. It's very grown up of her mm-hmm. to do it. Uh, as you say, there is she's at a state where how much more misery can she take? She's been to hell and back several times within the last year. And in a way, I think for her, that it was the stepmother, that it was, it it has no, there is no space left for that. But the fact that she then manages to say, well, that's okay, I forgive you. Because she can't, she can't, she can never go back and be happy. She can't go and say, "Well, I forgive you. Let's move on." It's I forgive you. Please now leave. You see <laughs> what I mean? It's a, it's a forgiveness, but it's not a, it's not a reconciliation. It is, it is letting her have less uh, harm in, on, on herself for the stepmother. Because for Yenufa, it is already at the darkest place she's ever been. So I, I agree with you. It is it is very gen- generous in a way, and it is it is definitely um, very grown up. But it's also, as you say, I think well, she could do it. She could not do it. She chose to do it. Yeah. And then she hopes that one day she will find peace as well. Probably won't. Yeah, she stays there for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um. You are about to go into rehearsal in just a few minutes, but um, for my other job, we talked briefly about you don't read your reviews, uh, which, uh, wow, I mean, 
They're great, by the way. <laughs> but, um, you know, people are comparing you to names that you only hear. Nobody compares people to Birgit Nielsen. Nobody says, oh, yeah. Yeah, she's like Birgit Nielsen. Nobody says that, you know. Um, have you heard this comparison? Yes, I have. Um since the beginning yeah <laughs> anyway of course flagstar most because of my uh, norwegian region um and i i say every time i really appreciate it and i'm really grateful but um she was um she was uh really really she did it all see what i mean mm. she she did a whole career and if i ever get to do as much as she did um i'll be very grateful but right now I can barely fit her right shoe. So it's mm -hmm. it's um it's for me a long way to go. <laughs> yeah. Do you think you'll ever sing Turundot? Oh, uh, I would like to do that just because it's so epic. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of the opera in terms of like story. It's a very interesting story, isn't it? Or it's uninteresting. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't sort of made up my mind. But I love the music. <laughs> so in yeah. that sense, I hope I get to do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would love to hear you sing the riddle scene. So that's uh, that's maybe something. Yeah. You, maybe you and Freddie De Tomaso can get in the studio and just record exactly, that. Exactly. <laughs> He'll probably do it before me, though. <laughs> Lisa Davidson, um, it has been incredible to meet you. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk to us at Opera Box Score. Thank you. Thank you for having me. A little suggestion of what Freddie de Tommaso and Lisa Davidson would sound like together in a Puccini opera. This one, Tosca, from Freddie de Tommaso's new album, Il Tenore. Yennefer opens November 12th with five performances through November 26th. And once again, you can hear a full interview with Lisa Davidson uh, on WFMT. Thanks to Michael Solomon at Lyric Opera of Chicago for coordinating the interview. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. The 2023 Rugby World Cup of Opera, also known as Operalia, concluded in <laughs> Cape Town yesterday. South Korean-based Stefano Park claimed the top male prize, singing an aria from Verdi's Ernani, while French soprano Julie Rosé won first place female with the bell song from Lachme. Both first prize winners add $30,000 to their bank account. French mezzo-soprano Eugénie Jeannot won the $15,000 Birgit Nielsen Prize for Dramatic Voices, the female Zarzuela Prize, in addition to placing second overall, making her the night's biggest winner in terms of prize money. Friend of the show Elena Villalon won the Audience Prize and placed third, and hometown soprano Nombuelo Yende won the Culture Arte Prize. 
With added momentum for opera in South Africa, a pioneering initiative in Cape Town is helping a new generation of African artists thrive. An article in The Guardian describes the successes of Cape Town Opera's Foundation Studio, which has created inroads for black musicians in what was once seen as a white space. The Foundation Studio, currently mentoring 13 singers, won the 2022 International Opera Awards Equal Opportunities and Impact Award. Find a link to the article at operaboxscore.com. Dallas Opera announced a new initiative with the Dallas Mavericks, which will support TDO's community engagement programs. Spearheaded by Mavs Chief DEI Officer Gail O'Bannon, the initiative will, quote, help both organizations build better communities and achieve more equitable arts access for the next generation. Opera and sports. Totally new concept. Glad somebody <laughs> thought of that. Certainly not on their own network before. Revolutionary. Japanese businessman Kaoru Nakajima will host his 73rd birthday in Palermo. All of Palermo. Nakajima has booked several of the city's venues, including the Teatro Massimo, prompting the rescheduling of performances by the Sicilian Symphony Orchestra. Birthday events include a concert by Andrea Bocelli's son, Matteo, and a performance of Don Giovanni conducted by Nakajima's pal, Ricardo Muti. Zempa Ope Dresden will expand accessibility options via performances with audio descriptions and haptic tours. The audio descriptions are written by non-sighted as well as sighted authors, describing events and stage design and costumes. The service is free for ticket holders and can be paired with tactile experiences of props, costumes, and wigs. Angela Bassett will do the opera thing. The legendary <laughs> actress who portrayed Dr. Betty Shabazz in the 1992 film Malcolm X will host the Met HD broadcast of X, The Life and Times of Malcolm X on November 18th. What was that aria again? Google has built a machine learning feature into its search bar that allows users to find out which song is stuck in their head simply by singing, humming, or whistling the tune. To use the feature on either Android or iOS, open the Google search app. Uh, okay. Tap into the microphone icon. Yeah, got it. Then hum and select search for a song. Oh, I got it. No word yet on if it can name more than four handle operas. Exit stage right, conductor Yuri Tamirkanov has died at the age of 84. A former music director of the St. Petersburg Philharmonic in the Baltimore Symphony, Tamirkanov was particularly admired for his interpretations of the Russian repertoire from Tchaikovsky to Shostakovich to Rachmaninoff. Soprano Marina Considera passed away at age 46 following a battle with cancer. She made her operatic debut in 2002 in Rio de Janeiro and sang such works as Eugene Onegin, Don Giovanni, Le Conte Hoffman, Pagliacci, La Boheme, and Il Guarnarai. Met Orchestra violist Ron Aaron has died. Aaron played at the Met for 20 years after being assistant principal violist with the Cincinnati Symphony for 18. The Met shared, quote, Ron had a kind spirit and was always smiling, joking, and uplifting to those around him. After his retirement, he was a frequent presence in Met audiences. And on this day, November 6th, first performances include Francesco Provenzale's The Martyrdom of St. Gennaro in Naples in 1644, Francesco Cilea's Adriana Le Couvreur in Milan in 1902, starring Enrico Caruso, Janacek's The Cunning Little Vixen in Brno in 1924, and Karl Orff's Katsuli Carmina in Leipzig in 1943, and for Poops and Giggles in 1717 on this day, 
Johann Sebastian Bach went to jail for three weeks for breaking his contract <laughs> for his service in Weimar. Birthdays include Belgian instru instrument maker Adolf Sox, inventor of the saxophone, uh, that invention from 18 in 1840, <laughs> but his birthday on this day in 1814. American composer John Philip Sousa was born in D.C. in 18 1854 on this day. Polish statesman, composer, and pianist Jan Ignacy Paderewski was born in 1860. Italian-based Nicola Rossi-Lemini, born in 1920. Italian baritone Renato Capecchi, born this day in 1923. American mezzo-soprano Beverly Wolf, born in Atlanta, Georgia in 1928. The late English countertenor James Bowman, born in Oxford in 1941. And happy birthday to Daniele Gatti, born November 6th on this day in 1961. And that's your two-minute drill. bit of the second place Operalia winner who also won the Birgit Nielsen Prize and also won the Sarsuela Prize, Eugenie Jeannot. She takes $45,000 away from this con from this contest, uh, beating all other contestants in terms of prize money and statues. Um, that was uh, <laughs> This a little contest bit... alone makes her a medium income person. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and of course, the, veil, so... the Veil Song from Don Carlos with pianist Kamal Khan. Operalia was was streamed, right? I I did not watch it, but did anyone else in the in the fam? You know, last watch? year they they streamed it to Facebook, but this year it was only on Medici oh. TV, mm. and uh, apparently there were some problems with the tech, with uh, like website oh. crashing or something like that. So mm. I mean, it's going to be available for a long time. You can watch yeah. it whenever you want. Yeah, I didn't yeah. for sure. Yeah, I was watching hot Turkish basketball players and the Utah Jazz play the Orlando Magic. So, uh, I mean, priorities. <laughs> I was shocked that Elena Villalon did not take away a bigger award. That's than, a good point. She's, than, yeah. Than what She's a like sweeping all the contests, but it's okay. I mean, at least they recognized her. She got, she got third got in the audience prize. It's yeah. not nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. I, I know that there are many important things to talk about, but I have to also tell you what I can't let go of right now, which is this billionaire who has basically blocked out the entire city of Palermo for his birthday. <laughs> so it's his 73rd birthday. Right. They were going to do it for his 70th, but they couldn't because of COVID. Oh, um, did something happen? <laughs> do you want to know how this man started his fortune? Not really, how? but tell us. Amway. Oh. He made his first money in Amway. <laughs> as so this in guy's the Betsy like... DeVos MLM oh. Amway. Oh he no! Made his so filthy. 
With and he Amway. can't even afford Andrea Bocelli. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had to get the. I sun. didn't even know his son. His son sang. Apparently, well, he can doesn't. you imagine if they made Ricardo Muti conduct him in a production? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want him to be in Don Giovanni. When, <laughs> when you say he, who do you mean? You mean Andrea Bocelli? Matteo. No, Matteo Bocelli. Matteo Bocelli. Nepo baby him. The opera's newest Nepo baby, Matteo Bocelli. Which role Maybe, will Kaoru Nakajima play in Don Giovanni? <laughs> well, 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 well. Um, Matteo's concert apparently features Nakajima's wife. Well, of Amazing. course it does. Uh huh, and also, uh, not for nothing, that theater is also uh, the scene for the ending of Godfather Three, where Michael Corleone's daughter gets shot by the hitman. So I'm wondering if that has something to do with the interest of this theater in general. Uh, Biggest opera house in Italy, baby, right there. Third largest in Europe. This this app, uh, you know, I know nothing about technology. Like, do any of you think you actually might use this this um? machine learning feature i i I feel like i might be getting like pushed out because you know as someone who grew up you know almost exclusively being able to name the tune well yeah (laughs) that was like my whole thing right like like i was like classical music you know opera in a language i didn't understand you know i i i really did pride myself with being like the person people would come to me come to me and be like What's this piece? And hum it. And I'd be like, mm, yes, it's this one. But now Google's coming for me. So I don't know. We'll see. This is a real going to be a John Henry kind of situation between me and Google. Oh. So we'll see what happens. First of all, Weston, nothing could replace you. Not nobody, not know how. Oh, but thank you, this Ashley. This is incredibly That's not entirely true. But <laughs> I, in my heart, in my heart, uh, I, this is though really incredibly cool. If you think about it, I mean, we already have Shazam. That's kind of like the opening ceremonies <laughs> okay. of this type of machine learning. Are, are we familiar with Shazam? On yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have no idea, but don't mind me. <laughs> Just go on. <laughs> Just move on. Oh, fair, fair. I forgot Grandpa George is on the Shazam, call. Shazam, you can put um, up next to a speaker and it'll tell you what song is playing, but it doesn't work for live yeah. performances. Yeah. It doesn't. And so that's where this comes in. And so what it does is the search identifies the pitches and the rhythmic durations of the things that you hum or sing or whistle. And it transfers that into like a sequence of numbers, which basically is like the song's fingerprint. And then it starts to compare it to hundreds and thousands of other sequences that have been yielded by music that's already been recorded. And so if there's matches, it'll show suggestions. Hope your intonation's so- good. Yeah, I actually think this is really, really cool. And, you know, there's all these people that, you know, you go see an opera one time and maybe there is an earworm that sticks with you. Wouldn't it be great if you could hum that into your phone and then maybe see, oh, that's going to be playing the next town over. Oh, maybe I should go see it. I feel like this could help us. This can help our people. I'm going to try something from um, Alan Turing in this and see if it can. Give that a couple of years. Give it some years. My favorite part. Do a little bit of Votsek in there. So our old friends at uh, the Dallas Opera Network are uh, finally getting on board with uh, this, the with, with our pitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Isn't amazing, that? and what an original new concept! I never Talk about thought a swing to put and a together. Know. You know, the idea of professional sports and professional opera being run in similar ways—they should do is, a whole show yeah. based on that. There's a parallel universe right that right now. I can see it. It's like it's like you know the mirror universe in Star Trek, where everyone has goatees and is evil. If you look over onto the other side, we are hosting 
that that program. We, and we all have go on the Dallas Mavericks. Okay, I want I want y'all to be punching up right now, not punching down. Here's the thing, though, is because is I went to the the website and the press release and all that, and like it's not it's actually clear. Absolutely. Well, it's not actually clear like what's going to happen or why anyone should bother. Like it could be the Dallas Mavericks or it could be like Big Oil, right? I mean, does it? I, I, I'm not <laughs> money, sure money, why the NBA two Texas team... things, Big Oil and the. <laughs> First of all, well, I've forgotten I mean, that Jason Kidd was the coach of the Mavericks. I have not correct. forgotten that Mark Cuban, I think he's is called the, the owner. Go- well, I think he's called in the press release, he's called the governor of the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> no, that's I mean, basically. Right. Well, and the not for nothing. Elected. They're uh, you know, this DEI officer for the Mavs was just recently elected to TDO's board. So I can't help but think that that might have greased the wheels a little bit, but also right. yeah. I mean, you know, the sports franchises in Dallas that aren't, you know, the big one with the blue star and the way too big Jumbotron, like they're all looking (laughs) for different partnerships in town to really sort of boost community efforts, community organizing and and just different things to sort of serve the youth of the DFW area. So, I mean, all jokes and snark aside, I I do any partnership in this is good for me. Yeah, and it it also I think it's also a great way because we're always talking about how opera companies should be more local and aware of the interests of of its audience. And a great way to do that is with local sports teams. You know, I I think that's such a great idea. Uh, I mean, you know, really, Weston. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a great idea. Uh, I think I'm so proud of them for figuring it out all by themselves. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, That's all so, I'll say about it. You know what is not happening that needs to happen? Uh, which also refers back to Opera Box Score um, and takes into account one of the stories from this week. Tell us. The Shirley Verrett biopic starring Angela Bassett. <gasps> that Oliver. Oh, my God. That you just blew my mind. <laughs> Don't put it well, out there, man. Keep what it was the name mind. of her, her autobiography again, West, uh, Matt? You remember? I think it was I Never Walked Alone. You got to say that a little bit quieter because uh, Dallas Opera is going to start producing it next month. <laughs> I, never, I Never Walked Alone. This is my intellectual property. I Never Walked Alone starring Angela Bassett uh, I is my idea. Amazing. I, we already, I mean, have you ever seen that video of her do it just like launching into the Lady Macbeth monologue on like the Today Show? Honey. <laughs> Incredible. You know, add that, take take that add in some cape work she's been in a marvel movie we know she knows how to use a cape add in any of her uh clips from what's love got to do with it add the uh car burning monologue from waiting to exhale where she finishes with it is trash and then moves the cigarette and walks away i'm dead she's worked with ryan murphy so she knows what camp is it's 100 100 percent. what i love about angela bassett there are many things. She's like one of the most talented actresses of our time. She is an insanely beautiful human. I told the gentleman before we started, she is the most beautiful human I've ever seen in real life. It is it is upsetting. She is ethereal and magical and you don't know how it's real. Um, but she's also done a lot of like opera adjacent things. So hmm. I love that she's doing this, this Met broadcast, you know, because she played Dr. Betty Shabazz. By the way, she was excellent in that film. Uh, so I love that she's there and can offer sort of an insight into you know into these real life characters i also got to see her do many years ago uh an interview with um uh denise graves at just about sort of the life of an opera singer the life of black women in the arts like so she's always kind of been like 
around the fringes of this. So it's really delightful that she's going to do. I can't wait to. I can't How wait. Will they make her look old for the later era? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> Let us wrap up the show. Good call. Bad call on Opera Box Score. Oh, my goodness. So great to have the whole OBS crew together. It's rare. But, man, when the planets align, it is nothing but fun. Good call, bad call. Out of order this week, starting with Matt Cummings. Oliver and I had a lovely date night on Saturday to go see the opening night of Daughter of the Regiment at so uh, Lyric Opera of Chicago. Nice. And that I would not say that Daughter of the Regiment is my favorite Donizetti opera. However, this is possibly the best one that is out there today. Like, And due to no small part, the absolute vocal Olympic achievements, Olympic obligations of Larry Brownlee and Lisette Orpesa, who just like every single curveball that that production throws at them, they act, they hit knocked out of the park. The vocalism from the very beginning of the evening to the very end of it was outstanding. They were funny. They were charming. It's the Laurent Pelly production that mm-hmm. Natalie Desay and Juan Diego Flores did mm-hmm. at the Met like yeah. just over a decade ago. So it's hyperkinetic and it, but it feels like totally still fresh. And uh, the orchestra also under the lyric debut of Speranza Scapucci sounded incredible and had such a great feel for the music, like a really, really impressive production from where I was sitting. I'll continue the good call and shout out as well. Um, Alessandro Corbelli, who He's got to be in his 60s now, and he's able to keep up with the very physical action that's uh, required for that production. And I was so worried every time he had to step down off of the stage, because there's this big step off of the off the set onto the actual stage. And I was so worried he was going to like dislocate his knee or something like that, but he seems to be okay. <laughs> um, bad call for something uh, in the sports world. Uh I learned about the Tush Push. Okay, yeah. And I was so excited to like watch videos of the Tush Push. <laughs> and it didn't do anything for me. I don't really see what the big deal is about the Tush Push. Anybody want to defend the Tush Push before we move on? No, okay. <laughs> Resounding not, silence. Not, not, disappointing. Not really. well, it's, tush it's, Push, it's, it's a disappointing. Phil- yeah, so. it's a Philadelphia Eagles thing. There's no possible way I would ever defend anything out of Philadelphia sports teams or fans. Weston <laughs> Williams. Uh, we've been talking a lot over the past year about hashtag Callus 100 being the 100th uh, birthday of Maria Callas, but uh, move over hashtag Callus 100. It's time for hashtag Legetti 100 because Ashley George Legetti, George Legetti is also <laughs> turning 100. He's from a completely different world, and I found out that Boston Symphony Orchestra from November 12th to I believe the 19th is doing a series of concerts that's all Legati all the time and god i want to be in boston so bad for this okay, you, you so have no we, idea we are in the middle of the Ligeti 100 year but the Collis 100 year doesn't start until december 2nd so we can have our own seasons oliver it's fine <laughs> <laughs> ashley hardgrave please help uh, when opera meets HBO, I what's making me happy this week is uh, the Gilded Age, the HBO series, is coming back for season two. And uh, yes. 
one of the central parts of this ridiculously camp show for season two is the opera wars of the 1880s. So I am excited to see like how they handle the, you know, the, the Vanderbilt's battle. I mean, we know how it eventually all shakes out, but I cannot wait to see what they do with this. And I'm very excited that like hoity toity opera folks of the 1880s are going to be <laughs> featured in the season two Gilded Age. Bad call from me. This just in this afternoon on the Daybreak Taping. The Cubs have fired manager David Ross, the uh, catcher from our Rossi. 2016 World Series winning team. Mm. He's been replaced by Craig Council from the Milwaukee Brewers. If you're a Chicago fan, you start by, by hating the St. Louis Cardinals. The Brewers have to be next. This feels <laughs> like we are poisoning the well of Chicago Northside baseball. That is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Get your voice heard and find links to stuff we've talked about at our website, operaboxscore.com. And that's also where you can put your money where our mouths are. Give back to the OBS on the Support the Team page. Your announcer is Norm Waddell. Your creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. And your audio editor is Weston Williams. For co-hosts Matt Cummings and Ashley Hardgrave, with guest Lisa Davidson, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you serve time in jail for missing that gig. <laughs> We're back with an all-new show next week when Ashley gives us a field report from Washington National Opera's production of Grounded. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more Turkish thirst traps. Join us. <laughs> <laughs>